It is good to be here with you today, and I was just uh, sitting there thinking. It was about, I think, I have I have Joe Biden moments once in a while. So I'm, I think I'm right that it's like in 84, the first time I came and preached here at this church. I'm sure many of you remember that. <laughs> Well, that's a long time ago, amen. The older we get, sometimes our forgetter works better, doesn't it? I'm reminded of this little boy that was walking down the sidewalk one day in his neighborhood, and he looked across the street, and he saw a man trying to crank a lawnmower, one of them old kind you crank, crank with the rope. The little boy looked and said, I think I know that lawnmower. Went over there and it was the preacher trying to crank the lawnmower. The little boy said, Preacher, I believe I know that lawnmower. He said, You ought to. I bought it from your daddy. He said, But I can't get it to crank. He said, Daddy had that problem. He said, uh, When it wouldn't crank, he'd kick it. Preacher said, Son, I've already kicked it two or three times. Well, the little boy said, The next thing my daddy would do, he'd cuss it. Preacher said, son, I have not cussed in so long, I have forgotten how. He said, you keep pulling on that rope, it'll come back to you. <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping a few things may come back to me this morning. I don't know. But anyway, it's good to be here, and I appreciate the pastor for allowing me to come and be in here. And every time he asks me to come preach, he's always gone. That's like telling somebody your favorite restaurant, but you don't ever go eat there. So uh, anyway, whatever reason, I'm glad to be here this morning with you. And we are living in some strange times. Amen. When uh, this virus, this dust from Africa has reached us, the rioting, the chaos, the political turmoil, Jesus is about to come, amen? I was talking to my son on the way over here this morning. I said, well, side, I said, you might not have to be packed up, but you better be prayed up. The Lord is fixing to come, amen? I believe that. But we're in these last days, but the good thing about all of this, in spite of all that's going on, revival's on the way. I believe revival is on the way, and I'm going to be a part of it, and I'm going to try to do my part to usher in revival. So uh, just keep your chin up. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you from John chapter 5, St. John chapter 5. Maybe a unusual topic this morning, but I have felt impressed of the Lord. You know, the Church, this church has been established a long time. The church of God has been established a long time. I've been preaching for over 40 years. But sometimes I think we get hung up on some things. And my title of my message this morning is, Don't Mess With My Tradition. Don't Mess With My Tradition. And we go to the Gospel of St. John. John's writings is a little bit different than the other Gospels. John only records eight signs or miracles in his book. 
John uses the word sign. Now, why does John use the word sign? Well, it tells us in the 20th chapter, verse 30 and 31, where John said, And many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In other words, John said, The Lord did a lot more signs or miracles than I'm writing about. Matter of fact, if all the miracles that the Lord did were recorded, volumes could not hold those miracles. John said that this is the reason for these signs. In verse 31, he said that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These signs point to his deity, to who he really is. John said, I'm writing about signs or miracles so I can point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you believe that he is the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his or through his name. So John isn't just writing about signs or miracles that took place just for writing's sake. He has a divine purpose here, and that is to point us to Jesus Christ. Now when we come to the fifth chapter, this is about the fourth miracle that is recorded by John. He records eight. But this is already the fourth one. In chapter 2, there's two there. And what the first one is a response to a request when he was asked to help with the wedding, when he turned water into wine. That same chapter, he was also there where the nobleman, or he, that chapter was uh, chapter 2 when the second sign was when he went into the temple and he cleaned it out. That was a response to no request. Then we get where he did the miracle of healing the nobleman's son. And now we come to this miracle or this sign that John writes about in the fifth chapter. It says that there was a feast of the Jews in Jerusalem, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And this goes on to tell us in verse number two that, that the, in Jerusalem there was a by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, and having five porches. And in this pool, or in this pool of Bethesda, there was a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind halt, withered, waiting for the troubling of the water. For at a certain time that an angel came down and troubled the water, and whosoever first then after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease that he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw and knew that he had been in that condition or case for a long time, Jesus said unto him, Would thou be made whole? And he answered and said, that, Sir, I have no man. To, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth in. And then Jesus looked at him and said, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man took up his bed and walked, and the same day was the Sabbath day. So when we look at that, we understand that there was this feast. Now, I don't know, Brother Coleman might know, but I've looked, but... Scholars that I've read behind, they're not sure which, which, uh, which one of these, uh, celebrations that they were there, but it was one of the one, the Feast of, of Tabernacle, per, uh, 
Pentecost or the Feast of Purim where all the Jews were supposed to come and show up. And Jesus went to this. This was a time when there was a great host of people pouring into Jerusalem for one of these feasts. And Jesus went himself. Now, we also understand that I want you to look, when you go into this pool of Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, it means the place of mercy or the place of outpouring. So people were going to this place of outpouring or, or the place of mercy. And for preaching's sake this morning, we might could say, and the people were gathered into the church, into the house of God to meet with the Lord there. But I want us to look at, at what was really taking place. Look at the environment just for a few moments. When you get there, the Bible says that there was a great multitude of impotent folk. They were blind. They were halt. They were, they were withered. They were maimed. They were cancers. They were all kinds of problems there. And you look, and everywhere you look, there was people that was some, had some kind of medical condition there, whether they were blind or they were deaf or they were lame or, or they had the cancer or they had many diseases, incurable diseases, people that were there were there because that was the place of hope that they had. And when you look at that, the environment, though, it meant house of mercy or the place of outpouring, but it looked more like a house of misery there because the people were just there, and they were there waiting on something to happen. You know, that was the environment. You know, we come to the house of the Lord, and the environment is supposed to be a little bit different. Amen? We live out in a world of woe, especially today that we're living in. There's trouble on every hand. There's bad news coming every time that you turn on the news, that we see all this stuff taking place. We are, we're afraid to go places anymore. We're afraid to go into public places. We, many of you today have masks. Debbie and I, when we're in places of business, we, we go when we do, when we have to go we, to the grocery store. You still got to eat, amen? And we go in there and we all, we got these masks on and we're always washing our hands. I've never been as clean in my 70 years that I am now. I mean, every time Debbie's spraying me down with everything. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're afraid, afraid to go into restaurants. And boy, isn't it good home cooking? Some of you've had a revival of home cooking. So can I have an amen? And isn't it wonderful? You know, it's kind of like the guy that was <coughs> was told, he said, now, then you've got to be on lockdown. You've got to be quarantined, and you've got some options, though. Number one, you can, you can be quarantined with your wife and your children. And they said, no, he said, I'll take number one. You know, but anyway, we've been quarantined, and, or I'll take number two. He didn't want to be quarantined. We, we've really introduced family one more time. The family table, the gathering. But there's a fear in our day to day. People are afraid. There's many people that are afraid to come to the house of God. And we're not badgering them. We understand that, amen. They're being cautious about things. When it first come out, 
They said, if you have diabetes, high blood sugar, if you have, have you had cancer and all this, I looked at Debbie and I said, you might as well call the undertaker. I'm done for. Amen. But you, you, we live somewhat in fear, but the environment in this place ought to be different. When we walk through those doors back there, the environment ought not to be woe and gloom and doom, but we ought to have an atmosphere in here, an environment in here where people have hope, amen. And they gather here and they smile. Somebody smile at me. I know I'm not pretty, uh, but smile at me. We ought to come in here with joy in our hearts. That's why we open with praise and worship, to open up with an atmosphere to cause the environment to be changed from what it is out there. I don't know about you. I'm just speaking for myself. I have a greater passion than I've ever had to go to the house of God. I can't wait to get to the house of the Lord. I go Sunday mornings. I go Sunday night. I go Wednesday nights. I can't wait to get there. Now, my, my grandson's my pastor now, so I gotta be there really, but it's more than gotta be. I wanna be, amen. There's something different about coming into the house of the Lord, amen. It ought not to be a place of, mer- of misery, amen. We ought not to come in here and flop down. We ought to come in with our, we ought to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, amen. You ought to get out in the parking lot when you get out of your automobile, there ought to be a bounce in your step. You ought to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. They ought to be saying, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. I come to have church. Amen. I have this wonderful privilege. I was at in Tifton for eight years, so I went to a lot of, after I quit pastoring, I evangelized two different times. I've had a lot of privileges to go to a lot of churches. And some churches I go to, they, they're just bouncing off the walls. I kind of like that myself. Some churches is kind of in between. Some churches you wouldn't know if you was in a morgue. Amen? No excitement. People can't laugh. They're afraid to laugh in church. Somebody said I'd make a better comedian than I would a preacher. I'm not going to argue with that. I just don't argue no more. But I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have fun out there. I'm certainly going to have fun in here. I'm not going to be some old dried up thing sitting on a church pew saying, poor little old me, I'm a Christian. When you see me walk in the door anymore, you can say there comes a little bit of life in this place. There, there comes some joy. There's some excitement. I want to bring an atmosphere of worship, amen. And that, that, everywhere you look, there were sick people laying around. I wouldn't have what some Christians have. They're just bitter because they're Christian. I did everything you can do when I was out in sin. I enjoyed it. Well, don't look at me like a bullfrog batting his eyes in a hell storm. You read Hebrews. There's pleasure out there in sin. When I was a sinner, I was a good sinner. I preached on temptation one time when I was pastoring in Homerville, and the guy after church said, you know the best way to deal with temptation? I said, what? He said, just give in to it. I don't know that's the best way, but it's the easiest way. 
But those pleasures are just for a season. They're just for a time. We ought to create an environment. When somebody sits on your pew, they ought to know they've been in church. They ought to want some of what you got. Well, I'm just going to get off of that now. So that was the environment. The event was the people were there waiting for the troubling of the water. They were waiting for an angel to come down and trouble up the water. There were, there were all these pools around there. This man lay here. This lady lay there. This one had this disease. That one had that disease. And the Bible says that they were just a multitude of impotent folk. And they had gathered there the right place, it seems. It was a place that they could find some kind of hope there. Maybe something might happen to them. But, but you see what they were doing when they got, and we're going just for preaching sake, when they got to church, they got there. It's the right thing to do, the right place to go. But when they got there, they were just waiting on something to happen uh, instead of helping things to happen. We got too many spectators in church. We need some participators, amen. We need somebody to say, hey, we need to raise our hands in here. We need to shout a hallelujah once in a while. We need to stand up on our feet and give the Lord a wave offer, not just sit there waiting on Aunt Betsy to sing your favorite song or the preacher just spit a little bit farther and and turn a little redder. We need something that we don't need to wait to some red, a slick back hairdo. Evangelists come in here, the hottest thing come out of Cleveland. No, when we come into the house of God, we ought to come and say, I'm going to make something happen today. I'm going to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I told you, my, my grandson's my pastor now. He, he took the Statenville church about two years ago. I'm going to brag it a little bit now. Took the church two years ago. There's about, when I went there, I was still at the state office and went there because the pastor had resigned and, and just tell them what happened because they didn't know the pastor had resigned. They had about 30 people. They had about $800 in the bank, owed $90,000. Today, two years later, we got about 160 in church. Don't know a dime. Got $50,000 in the bank. I'm sitting on the front row when you come in there. I sit on the front row for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to see what's behind me. I don't want those behind me dragging me down. I don't want to sit back there and see somebody sitting all slumped over, you know. I'm going to sit up. I don't know what. I, I, other night at church, we got, it got to getting so good up there. I started to scream out, I don't know what's going back yonder, but I know what's happening up here. Amen. You see, I don't want to, I don't want to be distracted by nobody. I'm a front row man. Number two, I'm going to be up there supporting my grandson. He takes off running, I'm going to take off running. He shouts, I'm going to shout. He talks in tongues, I'm talking in tongues. Neither one of us can sing, so thank God I don't have to worry about trying to sing. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to help the, the uh, minister of music. We was able to hire a minister of music. A part-time minister of music, part-time youth director. I mean, things is going well. 
I don't, I don't sing a lick. I mean, I have no singing ability at all. I can't even clap my hands in rhythm. Perfectly half beat. While you're doing here, I'm going there. But a few Sunday nights ago, the uh, minister of music, she come down there and she's after church, she said, I just want to tell you what a blessing you are to help lead in worship. She's talking about during the, I thought, maybe that's why I'm sitting on that front row. Just to help. The event, they're all gathered around there waiting. I'm not waiting no more. I'm not waiting no more. I pastored about 38 years. I've gone through a little stuff over the last year. I'm not going to get into that little medical problem that could have killed me. Still taking treatments. But I believe God's healed me. But I made my mind up, whatever days I got left, whether it's 1, 10, or 100, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm not going to sit around waiting on something to happen. Tradition. Waiting on tradition, an angel to come down. Church is full of tradition. Some tradition's okay. I'm not talking about throwing out the schedule. They handed me a schedule a while ago. As if they thought I could read. Had me a schedule. Before we come in here, somebody had a service planned out. I like that. When I pastored, we did that. When I go come in here and say, Hey, hey Johnny, you want to come up here and lead a song? Yeah, let's sing 92. Uncle Bill, you get ready. We'll sing 120, Victory Jesus. You got, I'm not talking about order. We got to have some order. God is a God of order. Amen. But God is not bound up to this piece of paper right here. Amen. I feel like preaching something, but when I get to church, God is not going to sit up there in heaven and say, to, well, he's got it all. Ma-. No, no. God can interrupt and God can intervene anytime he wants to do that. Amen. But tradition, what is tradition? Tradition, by definition, is a transmission of a custom or belief from one generation to another or unwritten law. Theology, oh, theology's got the big gospel. Theology, by definition, it is a belief that a doctrine is, is a divinely, has a divine authority but not necessarily found in the Scripture. Tradition, sometimes we go try to work through tradition to solve man's problems. Sometimes we come in church and tradition has to take place. God moves here. God moves there. God will move at this point. God will have to do it this way because that's, no, you'll never find that God did everything the same old way. Amen? We get hung up on tradition in church. I believe probably, especially our denomination, Pentecostals. It's kind of like the lady, young wife, hadn't been married long, and you know how it is when you start out new. I don't know about this generation, but you start out 
take Debbie and I over. We've been married 50 years plus now. When we first got married, I was working at the paper mill. I was on shift work. Some mornings I had to get up at 2 a.m., some mornings at 6 a.m., whatever the shift. Debbie was not letting me go without cooking me a good breakfast. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A good. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Breakfast? A good breakfast. I mean, eggs, she still does that. I eat eggs about five days a week. I mean, I'm talking about go out there to the chicken pen and get them fresh eggs. She'd cook me eggs. Sometimes she'd cook me even homemade biscuits at that early in the morning. This young man right there, he looked up at Dad and said, What's a homemade biscuit? <laughs> that, ha- that went on about two weeks. Then it got down to, I'm going to fix you a bowl of ch- Cheerios. <laughs> that went on about two weeks. After that, it, can you stop at the store and get you a Pepsi and a honey bun? Young couple got married, and wife was in there really trying to impress her husband, and she's going to cook a ham, and he walked in there, she had a saw. She's sawing off the end of the ham. He said, baby, why are you sawing off the end of that ham? That's some good meat on there. She said, because mama always did. I said, well, don't you think we need to try to find out? She said, okay, so she called her mama. Mama said, well, that's the way my mama does it. So the mama called her mama. Her mama said, well, I always cut off the end of the ham because the pan was too short. <laughs> Sometimes we just cutting off the end of the ham and we don't know why, amen. They gathered there waiting on the water to be troubled. And there is nothing that I can find, Brother Coleman, where there was one ounce of biblical divine truth in that troubling of the water. Some say that it was an underground stream that at a certain time it bubbled. I don't know. I'm going to tell you, I don't know about that. That's not the way this man got healed. So that was the inv- Now the encumbered, the encumbered man, the Bible says that he was there 38 years in that crippled condition. He had been laying around 38 years waiting on something to happen, amen. Well, it's got that. No, you read Acts chapter 12. God went down there and he got Peter out of prison real calm and quiet. Acts 16, he gets Paul out and he shakes the foundation of the prison, amen. This man's waiting on that 38 Years, that's a long time to carry around your problems. I don't know, but it's my sermon. When you preach, preach just like you want to. My sermon, I think after 38 years, you know it's surprising what we can get used to. We just get used to about anything. Give another reference back to Homerville. When Debbie and I moved to Homerville, there was we lit we. I think we we're on the right side of the track. 
You remember you used to the old said they're on the other side of the track? But we was close enough to the train that you could hear it, and it'd come by about 1 o'clock in the morning. It always had to blow. That's just pure devil, isn't it? You just finally got to sleep, and he comes around. Blah. You know, it'd wake us up. You'd feel a little vibration. One night I was laying there, and I got to think, I don't even remember that train. I got used to it. My grandson and I and Debbie and his wife, we bought us a little place down in Swanee, Florida, down on the river. And we've been going down there working. We went down there Friday, me and him and another guy went down there. we just been going so much. We got way on down the road there, and I said, we need to stop at Live Oak. Papa, we done went through Live Oak. But you just kind of get, and then you can settle in and say, well, this is life. I got to accept this is life. There's no better for me. There's no healing for me. There's no deliverance for me. We sit around and we pray. If the Lord doesn't answer real quick, we give up. This man might have been in the right place, but he didn't feel like he had any hope left. Because it had been 38 long years he had been that condition. He has bound. Don't you feel like that sometimes? You, the trouble under the water comes and you try to make a little progress and something holds you back and you're bound up and you're tied up. You just can't seem to break through. You ever feel like that? I'm pressing, but I don't get nowhere. This man was encumbered by, by, by his condition. And, and so then there's the encounter. Thirty-eight and a half years, he's laid there in that miserable condition. And he's about to have an encounter. Woo. Jesus walks in. He's waiting on the angel, but Jesus walks in. He's waiting on Sister Betsy to sing that good song, but the Holy Ghost walks in. You know what we need? We need an encounter. We need something unexpected to happen. We need an unexpected encounter move of the Holy Ghost, amen. We need something to happen to us like the man when they threw Elisha's in there on him. The dead man rose up. I don't know, but I think he'd come out of that tomb and say, Whoa, something got a hold of me. I want something to get a hold of us, amen. Let's get off our pews and our blessed assurance and press to an encounter with God. You're not going to get anything out of church until you have an encounter. Until something happens. You don't all have to run and jump and shout and holler like me. But you need an encounter. I want to know. I want to feel something. Amen. I'm the kind of person I need to feel something. I don't have to have Holy Ghost goosebumps running up and down my spine 24 hours, seven days a week. But every once in a while, I like to have an encounter with God. I like to, I want Jesus to step into my life. When I was pastoring, I'd want an encounter. I'd want something to happen. Amen. I knew I wasn't able to do it. But if Jesus ever showed up, let me tell you something. I don't care if you've been laying around 38 years. I don't care if you got cancer. I don't care if your kids are going crazy. I don't care if you've wet the altar with your tears. I don't care if you walked the floor all night long. All you need is an encounter with God. Hallelujah. 
waiting on, waiting on something to happen So this man had an encounter. The Lord walked in. The Lord said, the Lord saw, first of all, the Lord saw that he had been in this case now for a long time. You ever feel like the Lord has just forgotten about you? You've been there that way a long time. The prayers aren't answered. Matter of fact, things getting worse. Matter of fact, you see, and everybody else get blessed but you. You know, I went through a little spell one time when I first got saved. Now, you won't believe it now, but I've always been a quiet person. I've always been a bashful, shy person. I was raised in the church. I didn't get saved till I was 25, 24 years old, but I was raised in the church. I lived in a church of God parsonage till I was in the fifth grade with my grandparents. Our graduating class was a whopping 27. There's 27 of us. I grew up with them. I knew them all. There wasn't a boy in our room I hadn't had a fight with, and there wasn't a girl in the room I hadn't winked at once or twice. Knew them all. But for me to get up in front of that 27, would be 26 of them, and give an oral report on a book we're supposed to read, I just took a zero. I didn't, take the, I didn't read the book to start with. The only book outside the Bible I've ever read, I read that first book that Joel Osteen come out with. I read it from cover to cover. It took me about four or four years. I got it done. The reason I read that book, I wanted to see what in the world is that guy smiling all the time about. You ever seen? He must have a fortune in his teeth because he wants to show. Nobody can be that happy. All the time. So I read that book. I never read no book in school. One time I made the highest grade on a test on a book that we were assigned to read. I made the highest grade. Blew the teacher's mind. See, when I went to school, there was A students, B students, C students, D students, and my friends. Literature, that ha half of the year we had literature. And I, I said, I never read the books. I made the high score. Teacher was just about to throw a big party. Well, we had a true and false test. I just marked everything true. I figured I had a 50-50 chance. Only two answers were false on the whole test. I was in church at Statenville. There was probably 50 of us. I'd been saved too, too long, and we had an, an evangelist come in. 
You know, back yonder when we used to shout in church. Anybody remember those days? Could I get a Presbyterian amen? You remember when you used to come in? You could go into any church of God you wanted to. It was the same. Preachers preached the same. Any church you went into, you didn't have to wonder, can I raise my hands today? We used to shout. We used to actually shout. We used to fall in the floor. We used to roll. They used to call us holy rollers. They don't no more because we don't roll. I was sitting back there about halfway, and everybody was shouting in the church. It was one of those services. Anybody been in one of those services? But some of us old gray people. rest of you, John. Everybody was shouting. The boy, I was, I'm standing there back there. I said, oh, I, won't, I, won't. I said, I'm going to at least walk down there. I walked down there, you know, just quiet and timid. They just shouting, bumping into me, knocking me around, you know, <laughs> having the best time in the world. You ever seen anybody shout? Don't they look like they're having a good time? Oh, why don't you try it? I stand there. I'm going to feel something, Lord. I'm going to feel something, Lord. I'm going to feel Knock me down, Lord. I said, I'm just going to stomp my foot. God didn't tell me to do it. Devil didn't tell me to do it. I told me to do it. I brought that foot up. When I brought it down, I was way back yonder in the back before I knew it. I got the feeling the Holy Ghost all over me. I got the shouting. I got the running. I got the talking and tough. Let me tell you something. You... Mm, I want to feel something once in a while, amen. And the Lord knew he'd been in that case. And the Lord said to this, to this lamp, what time is it, Coleman? I'm, I'm probably going too long. Next time I come, put a calendar up on the wall. Huh? I'm good. He says, I'm good. And if you go get mad at somebody, get mad at him. Y'all ain't had this kind of preaching in a lot of years, have you? You just want some more of it. Tell him I said that. <clears throat> Lord walks in there and he sees. The Lord sees where you are. He sees what you're going through. Listen, there's a great multitude of people and one person in the whole bunch, if fortunate enough, one person could get healed. Think about it. Just one person out of the whole bunch, just hoping. Don't ever think the Lord don't know. The Lord walked right up to this man and knew that he had been in that case a long time. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're carrying. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're battling. He's seen every tear. He's got him counted, amen, that you have shed. He knows. He walks up to this man, this lame man laying there, been there 38 years, and the Lord walked up to him and said, Sir, would you like to be made whole? I don't know. If I'd have been one of these young people today, I'd looked up and said, Duh. Look where I am. Look what I am. Do I want to sound like a foolish question, didn't it? Just like walking up to somebody in the hospital room about to die and you say, You want to get well? 
Get out of here, Leroy. You don't know what you're talking about. No, it's not Leroy Spivey now. <laughs> Do you want to be made whole? Good question when you think about it. There's some advantages to being sick. I told you last year I got diagnosed with something pretty bad. Ooh, the good part of it, that I get babied. Oh, did I get babied. I'd get tucked in. I'd be laying on the couch. They would come over and she'd sit down with some oil and she'd rub my feet. I always do that for her. She just rubbed my feet. She fed me niner pudding. She fed me banana split. You could about big as my head every day. I went from one hundred and forty-one pounds to one hundred and seventy in a few months. I don't know if she's feeding me or trying to kill me. Now I'm a diabetic. Oh, my kids would come see me. They'd even mow the grass. They was over there mowing the grass, and my daughter got, they brought two of these zero turns. I got one now. I'm able to go again. You got two of these. Well, I'm sitting there on the couch, poor little old pitiful me, wanting some more petting, you know. My youngest out cutting grass, and all of a sudden the TV goes. <laughs> my daughter knocked down the satellite. There I am, sick on the couch, can't even watch TV. You live way out in the country. They don't just come fix it the next day. <clears throat> I hobble out there. And your daddy, I'm, I said, don't worry about it, baby. I don't, I'm sitting there wondering, the world, why don't you stay home? <clears throat> Knock my satellite out. I, ain't, I can't get out and do nothing. I want to watch gun smoke. I'm four days, no gun smoke. That ain't good for you. <laughs> but it's some advantages once in a while. I don't want to be sick ever again, but I did like the petting, the attention. Preacher's coming to see me. Overseer come two or three times. Preacher's calling me. How you doing, David? How you doing? Oh, it, it was pretty good there for a while, you know. Some people enjoy poor health. When I was pastoring, there's some people I wouldn't dare ask, how you doing? They'd give you a grocery list. You'd feel like committing suicide yourself. They'd be so bad, you know. You got to go get up and preach after they'd done and poisoned you with all this stuff. I'd see them coming, I'd go around the other way. Sir, you want to, first thing the Lord had to do is see what he thought up here. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really believe you can be healed? You got to get your spiritual mind in order. And the man said, now we're talking about excuse. Lord, yeah, I want to be healed. But while I'm trying to get that, nobody will put me into the pool. No, they're all beggars there seeking bread themselves. 
Nobody there was thinking about the other person. When the trouble, he, they wanted to get there. But he made an excuse. I would be healed, but nobody. You know what he said? God, it's not my fault I'm not healed. It's not my fault I'm not well. It's not my fault I hadn't got ahead in life. It's somebody else's fault. There's, whoa, we got, we were born with an excuse in us. When God made Adam and Eve, he said, don't eat that fruit. Eve ate it. They got caught. What happened? Eve said, Adam said it's Eve's fault. Eve said it's the serpent's fault. No, it's their fault. You ever thought about you might be going through what you're going through because it's your own fault? I was preaching pretty good to that, wasn't I? But he made excuses. Nobody helped me get in the pool, Lord. Nobody helps me get there. I'm an inch of, you know, I'm a, I can hear him now. I'm a crampling, you know. Well, the Lord knew that. The Bible said the Lord knew that he'd been there a long time in that case. You don't have to remind the Lord what you are and what you're going through. You want to make, well, Lord, I would, but it's not my fault if I had just had somebody to help me. Uh, and that was the excuse. But now one last thing I'm talking about. I'm, I'm getting there, Coleman. The effort. Now, so I'm going to preach to somebody in this place right now. If you want something from God, you got to put forth a little effort once in a while. You got to get up off your blessed assurance and put a little elbow grease in there once in a while. This world's, well, this world's in this, this handout stage. Want somebody to feed them. Somebody to buy them a phone. Somebody to pay for when they're sick. You get mighty quiet on me now. I'm not getting political. We, we just got to this place where we just want somebody to give to us. We need to get off our lazy behinds and go to work. I ain't got much, but what I got, I earned it. I'm proud of it. But you see, we get in church and we want the Lord just drop things in our lap without any if faith without works is dead. Lord, it's not my fault. The Lord now says, You're gonna have to put forth some effort. He says, Rise. He's talking to a crippled man, been crippled thirty eight years. In our terminology, he said, get up. I can't get up. I'm crippled. You know what he said when he said rise? He said, why don't you do something you've never done before? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we tried to do something we've never done? Wouldn't it be something if we got out of our comfort zone? I can't do this. I can't do that. No, you never tried to do it. Amen. Try and see what you can do. Put forth a little effort. Amen. Utilize a little faith once in a while. You need something. Your finances are not good. Give something. Best way to you to get out of debt is to give your way out of debt. People are holding. Not you. I'm preaching. Are we on the internet? I'm preaching to them people out there. We want the windows of heaven open up, but we don't want to do what the Bible says. Tithe and offerings. 
got, he said, do something you've never done before. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You want to you wanna make your pastor shout or it might put him in the emergency room, one or the other. Start doing something you've never done before. Use a little faith. He said, rise, do something what, that you've never done. Paul said, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus with strength. He didn't say some things, most things. He said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. He's my strength. Quit trying to do something in your own self, but give the Lord an opportunity to work through you. Just get up and try to do something you've never done. Mark 9 and 23 says, All things are possible to them that believe. There's nothing impossible for you if you'll put forth some effort. Hallelujah. Said, rise. Then he says, take up your bed. Now he was pastoring the church and had a prayer line. So Jesus is pastor now. He's got a prayer line. You come down there, he prays for you. And he says, Now I've prayed for you. Don't come back in this line. What well, he said, take up your bed, he said. Don't leave room for relapse. Don't leave your blanket, your little mat here. If you're going to claim your healing, go on and claim it. Don't leave so you can run back to it. When you bring something to the altar, leave it at the altar. Understand what I'm saying? When you give something to God, give it to Him. Don't drag it around. Don't leave it someplace where you can run back to. Just said, don't, don't, don't give no room for relapse. Then he says, walk. You know what the man was saying? I'm, I'm, stand with me. That'll make me. That'll make me quit. Some of you are trying to stare me down. That just don't work. What did the man say? He said, Lord, it's not my fault. Nobody will help me. Now the Lord said, walk. You know what he's saying? Don't expect nobody to help you. You walk on your own now. You stand on your own two feet now. Don't look around and say, I need some." You know what we need to do? We need to start standing on our own two feet. We ought to start taking our own responsibility. He said, walk. The next verse says, and immediately. Look at your neighbor and say, immediately. The man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. Same day was the Sabbath. You read the next verse. Believe it's verse number 10. These Jews start getting upset. Because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. And the man was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. I want to tell you something that's astonishing about this sign that John tells us about. Verse 13 you find. This lame man didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't know who Jesus was to the next verse when Jesus saw him in the temple, introduced himself. What, what bears out to me, if that man could have that much faith in the word of somebody that he did not know, why can't we put that much faith in somebody that we do know who has all power 
to do all things. Think about it. He just took this stranger's word and got up and was healed. Read your Bible. Your Bible will tell you that you can trust in the Lord because with God nothing is impossible.